Hi, I'm Dr. Mila Brujic, and today we're going to be talking to Dr. Blair Lonsberry on changing the landscape on today's Optometric Insights show. Dr. Blair Lonsberry, uh, thank you first and foremost for being here. Um, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, where you graduated from, what you're doing now, and really where your passion resides in optometry? Mila, thanks. It's great for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Canada. I was raised in Manitoba. I went to undergrad at the University of Manitoba. I had a little bit of a different pathway to optometry. I wasn't one of those people who wanted to be an optometrist since they were four or five. Um, I actually wanted to be a marine biologist since I was like three. So my undergrad degree was in zoology. And then I did a master's degree in cardiovascular physiology because I wanted to pursue research and see what that was like. I um, realized that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I went to school at, uh, at the University of Waterloo, finished my degree in 96, uh, did my residency in Chicago, 96, 97. Then I got into education and taught in Memphis at SEO for about eight years. And then I moved here to Pacific University about 16 years ago. Um, I'm primarily in clinic. That's my majority. Of my uh, work week is in clinic with students. And that's my preference because I prefer to be in clinic working with patients and students. I do teach a couple classes, but my focus is really in clinic. Um, I have a specialty clinic where I do a lumps and bumps clinic um, every Tuesday morning. Um, and my passion is education and making students better. So Blair, this is, this is really one I want to spend a lot of time with you on because you know, I, I look now and I see the level of knowledge that students are graduating with. And here's the crazy part. Like, I have a tough time keeping up to speed on the newest, latest, greatest. Um, and I'm just building on information. The students are going from zero to 100 in a matter of four years. I did the same thing 20 years ago in 2002, but we didn't have even close to the therapeutics, the diagnostics. I guess the first question I have for you is, how has the optometric education landscape changed for students? And to be very blunt on this next question, how do you now take that same four-year period and put so much more information into it for the students? Yeah, and I think that's a, a, an issue that all schools are struggling with is we have to be worried about what's called curriculum creep by just adding more and more information into our curriculum without taking anything else out. And um, so I have an Ocular Emergencies class that's currently an elective, but everyone says they want it to be a core course. The downside is if I add that course, now the students are just taking more and more credits without taking anything else out. Blair, you bring up a good point here because that's what I would think just as an outsider kind of looking at. Well, I, I don't teach um, in a in a in a academic setting, but that's what I would logically think. Like, why don't you just add the course? But you're right. If you start doing that, you'll never stop. And you'll, yeah. Yeah, so I think your, your point is well taken, Mila, that what we struggle with is bringing really this new information to the students. Um, we have this core stuff that we have to teach them. They all have to learn about optics. They all have to learn about anatomy and physiology and all those basic stuff, and then learn their procedural stuff. And remember, when you went to optometry school, it's not only a didactic one, but there's a physical manipulation that students have to learn as well. There's skills that they have to learn, and it takes time for them to learn those skills. But then we're throwing all this information that they have to try to integrate. And so we've even talked about having courses where it's basically new innovations, where we have a course to throw new stuff into, where we don't have to try to incorporate it into other classes. So it is a huge challenge to increase, you know, to all the new technology that's coming out with OCTs and um, OCTAs and visual fields and now pharmaceuticals that are coming out and all the realm of 
scleral contact lenses in addition to the dry eye stuff that's out there. It's just the sheer volume is very challenging to keep up with, but then also to make sure that our students have those basic skills, they can that they can refract, that they can actually do a slit lamp exam, that they can do all these physical things. Um, and the tough part about it is that educational institutions aren't designed to train students to be in private practice. Like my students get scheduled a two-hour eye exam. Well, you don't do two-hour eye exams, right? But I have to teach them all those skills so that when they get into practice, they can draw on those skills. Um, so I think one of the big complaints we have from private practitioners or even students that have graduated is says, you didn't train me to practice in real life. That's a very hard thing for me to do because you don't know the skills that you need to know. We have to train you all of them to incorporate once you get into practice. Yeah, it, it's a it's a real interesting dynamic, Blair. We, um, you know, I've had conversations with several individuals, and all the optometry schools do their best. Like just from a business perspective, they do their best job to teach students about the business side of things. The challenges is until you start doing it all the time, it's tough to really kind of comprehend and bring it in. For the same reason that. Listen, you can teach a student a refraction and you can make it pass a written test. But until you get that four-opter in front of them and they hear how patients answer that question, whether it be on a traditional four-opter or, you know, a new automated four-opter, until they hear the responses, until they hear what patients actually say, until they hear how every 2020 isn't the same. Absolutely. Yeah. You really don't get an appreciation for it. And that's the other part is that they also have to learn how to interact with patients, right? Um, and I, 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 you brought up exactly what I say to students all the time. Saying T, Z, that might be a V or a Y or an E or a C, that's very different than reading T, Z, V, E, C, L, right? Those are two very different things. And that could be a half diopter, three quarters of diopter worth of prescription, depending on it. Um, and that's, an, that's the art of optometry is that we can teach them the mechanics, but there's that art that comes to taking patients and trying to engage with them and talking to them and also thinking on your feet to say, okay, what's this going on? And, and still running a business and trying to do all that in 30 minutes, right? So um, it, is, it is definitely a struggle. Um, and you're right, all schools are trying to do their best to try to educate students in this, to put them into the real world. The downside is that our clinics are not designed as real world clinics, right? We have two hour eye exams. Um, they all have the ability to go and look at billing stuff, but it doesn't necessarily affect their day. If they get paid for that patient or not, it doesn't affect their day. It affects your day significantly if you don't get paid for your exam, right? So there's a huge disconnect between that business part and what we're training the students to be able to do, which is why our externs are so important for them to be able to get that exposure in the real world, in private practices, to be able to see how that real world optometry works. Blair, I uh, almost am a little bit embarrassed to share this next story, but I remember in third year of optometry school, um, this was prior to commercial availability of OCT. We had a guest lecture come over the Charles River. I went to school at the New England College of Optometry, and he had slides, these grainy slides of an OCT, which is the predecessor to the first commercially available one that we had access to. And I leaned over to one of my friends and I said, we're, we're never going to need these types of retinal cross section. Mm -hmm. One, because you can't really tell what you're looking at in that. Yep. And two, we're, we're not going to be doing this. Well, you know, fast forward, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine practicing with, without it. And in that same vein, we have four locations, Blair. Every single one of our locations is equipped with it. So the question I have for you, Blair, is, you know, 
this technology is so great because it even allows you to um, see the retina in different ways. I mean, learn about it in different ways. I remember learning about the retina in a histology slide. Are you guys incorporating that earlier on into the curricula so that they kind of get used to seeing those images? And everything? Yeah, so that's something we are, are trying to focus on more and more is if you remember, you know, no one remembers their first year of optometry school, but you're effectively learning a new language, right? Because you need to learn what optometry, all the terms in optometry. And it's very hard for our first years to get any connection to what this is going to mean when they get into practice. A lot of them have come in as technicians and they kind of have the basics and they think that those basics are really going to help them. And sometimes it actually hinders them because they think they have more knowledge than they actually really do. And we have to cut back to the basics and make sure that they understand the basics and not saying, oh yeah, I can read that OCT and that's central serous. Well, yeah, but what does central serous mean? You have no idea what that means. And yeah, you can see it, but we don't train technicians, we train optometrists, right? We don't train you to see that, but why does central serous work? How does it happen? What's the patient demographic? What are you going to do for it? What happens if it doesn't take care of it? Who are you going to send it to? So what we're trying to do now more and more in our first year program is to try to give those clinical correlates to the students saying, you're learning about the anatomy of the retina. All right. So we'll have a professor come in and say, here, here's a clinical example of central serous. This is why you need to know the different layers of the retina so that you can see it on OCT. This is what it means. There's a tangible part to why you're learning this. Um, so the more we can incorporate that, the better connection that they have. The little bit of the downside is that they all wanted to get into clinic right away. And the sad part about it is that they can't because they don't have the clinical skills to be able to be in clinic. They haven't learned those tools yet. Um, we give them exposures to going to do you know, school screenings and, and outreach programs, but we've really found out that they have to be through their second year before they can actually be on a patient on their own because it's not a, a service to them or to the patient. It's not fair to have a patient to have someone who's practicing on them. They're not guinea pigs. The flip side to it is if they don't understand, then their preceptor is giving them all the instructions so they become dependent learners at that point. They're relying on someone to tell them what to do. And that's, again, not what we're training them to do. They have to be, they have to learn to be independent from that. So we've kind of really kind of messed with that saying, give them exposure because that's what they want, but also giving them in a way that is really usable for them and not necessarily too early where they don't have the skills to be able to do an eye exam. Larry, that's um, the, your, your, your insight into this whole thing is, is awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of learning a few things as well. Too. I, I wanted to touch base on one more thing here. So again, you know, 20 years ago, thinking back when I graduated, it was less common to see students pursuing residencies because they were, there were less specialties. There were less, um, areas or facets where you could kind of really kind of do deep dives into optometry. You know, now with the current challenges of where all of the innovation is and, and again, getting that into a four-year curriculum, do you find residencies becoming increasingly important? And if so, even give the perspective on like what percentage of students are pursuing residencies now upon graduation? Yeah, so it's a little bit dependent on the year and the particular kind of class. I think people think that all classes are the same and classes have very different personalities depending on what kind of the makeup of those classes are. Like last year, I wrote 15 letters for residencies. This year, I only wrote a couple because that's just the way that class up of the, the makeup of the class is. But we are seeing residencies becoming much more important. And it's COVID has affected everything, but part of that's also our clinical education. Some of our students... Um, who are in this current third year class, through their second year, they had to work with a cohort of six to eight people. 
So they saw six to eight eyes their entire time before they got into clinic. So can you imagine when you got into third year that you'd seen six sets of eyes, you'd done refractions on six people. Like that's their world of norm at this point is six different people. So we're having to find ways to uh, make that clinical education um, speed up in some ways. And I think residencies are becoming so important for us because I don't think we have enough time in four years to train them on everything that they need to know. And a lot of that is that clinical experience. They have it. They're stuck in their head. They're all studying for boards right now or third years are. The, the knowledge is there. They just don't have a way to access it yet. They don't have a way to access it clinically. Now, for me, my residency made me the optometrist that I am because I needed that additional training to say I needed someone who's there I could ask advice for, but I needed to act like a doctor as well. And so to me, my residency was just really crucial to who I am as a clinician. Um, I hope residencies continue to expand. I would love to see residencies as a mandatory part of optometry that you get your four-year degree and you have to do a residency. I just think that would push our profession even further with that. It's not necessarily realistic, but it's that experience where I just think that way we're practicing now so much more medically, they need that experience. They need that exposure. Um, you know, we need to be retina specialists, glaucoma specialists, contact lens specialists, low vision specialists, vision therapists. We have to be everything. Um, and I just don't know if we have enough time in that four years to really give them everything that they need to know. Blair, um, tremendously insightful. I absolutely appreciate your time. I think this was awesome. Um, there's pearls for, for everybody, both clinicians, students, young practitioners. I just think you don't. Yeah, I think that it's important for us, for the optometrists that are practicing to remember what it was like when they were in optometry school and to make, to understand that the faculties and the programs are trying to do their best that they can to give all this information to students. But like you said, the first response is just add another course. It doesn't work that way. Um, and, you know, for those doctors who are out there who've ever thought about potentially being an extra in sight, I please wish that you would because our students need this exposure, particularly private practice. That's what they really need to see is to be able to work with a doctor to say, this is how private practice works, that what they're trained in, in school, our school clinics is not necessarily real life. They need to exceed that. So if there's any opportunity for you to work with a, with an extern, I just highly encourage it. Blair, thank you for your time. Appreciate all the insights. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. And make sure you're listening to future podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.